Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's, uh, what day is today? Today is Wednesday, right? That's right. It's Wednesday. Happy uh, Wednesday, everybody. You're halfway through the week, I think. Sorry. Pastor Rod's phone is is chirping at us, just letting us know that it's Wednesday. Stop it. It's time to record the podcast. And so he's letting us know that. That's an alarming truth. We need to be sure that we're ready for that. It is alarming. It's frightening even at times. Um, Yeah. Hey, I just read an article yesterday about this guy who said he had the perfect formula to to get to his gate at the airport on and uh, and have the, the smoothest process. It sounds like a joke. It's not a What's joke. This, okay. It's not a joke. There's no punchline. What's but the it, smoothest process? It got me thinking about the two different types of people there are for air travel. There's the type of person that is at the airport two hours before his flight and sitting at the gate ready to go. And then there's the type of person that just rolls through security and walks right on the plane and uh, and takes off. Those guys have our TSA pre-check. Sometimes. Or but then the clear people. Yeah. And then there's the other people that just, there's there's like, these are the types of people, nothing phases them. They're able to just go, and if security is a three-hour wait and their plane takes off in an hour and a half, they're like, no big deal, we'll make it. And uh, and, and I wish I was more like that person, but I'm not. I'm the person that I want to be there two hours ahead of time in my seat at the gate waiting for my plane. You get on the plane as soon as they let you get on. And then you just sit there, you buckle in, and like you just... Yeah, I've seen you do that. Because then I'm done. I don't have to worry about anything else. I'm, I'm, I can just relax for the rest of the flight. Do you relax in those seats? I do. Those I, are relaxing for I you. I pull out my my computer. <laughs> I pull out a book. I, I just, I, I'm done. I don't have to think about anything until the plane lands, and I have to get up and get off the plane. But you're usually an aisle seat kind of guy, so in theory, that's the idea. But then you have to get up because someone's coming to sit next to you, twice perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's true. That's fair. Why why is that the most inefficient thing that we do as a as a nation boarding planes? You know this is why we need to make America great again. There's many reasons why, but <laughs> but this is one of them. Yeah, I I think it was United Airlines was causing a, a kerfuffle this uh, this holiday season because they want to try a new boarding process where I'm oh, in. Let's try it. All of the window seats board first. Yeah, duh. Yeah, right. Like, why is that? Why we're, we? It's been. I think it's because we've we've taken so long to put somebody else back on the moon. Like we can't say we're putting people on the moon and we can't figure this out. We're not putting people on the moon anymore. I think it's probably, well, I mean, so they always let the passengers on first who have the, they they spent the most usually, right? The people that spend the most get to make the decisions. Right. And usually they're sitting furthest up front in the plane. Yeah. Which means they should get on last, right? Right. But they want to enjoy their first class seating. So And overhead storage, right? I mean, that's, that's a big thing too. But they get their own dedicated storage as well. So there's that. And then I think those after afterward those who sign up like it's first come first serve right true true yeah especially with like southwest so yeah that makes sense to me yeah i guess so i just think man we would all be happier if we could board the planes faster and more efficiently regardless of when you actually bought your ticket right like some people would be upset but if all the airlines got together and said hey we're going to do this all together we're just going to launch this thing and then what are people going to do buy their own plane like great if you've got your money buy your own plane you can board whenever you want but for the rest of us that uh, enjoy efficiency, like we should just all do this together. <laughs> so on that very note, I, I'm, I am totally the opposite of you in, in some of these things. Right. Despite the fact that it feels like my personality would lean toward efficiency. more of that. 
it's not the efficiency. I, I, I will show up as close as I can to when I have to be there because I, I don't want to spend any more time at the airport than I have to. Yeah. No, I just... I, and I, I get even, on the plane last. I don't even like flying. Like if I had the choice, I'd drive. Yeah. See, that's... Yeah, you and I depart there. No, not, no pun not, intended. Not because I'm afraid of, of flying or heights or anything. I just like being in control. I like having my luggage in my car and being able to you determine like the time frame. Mm. I do. Mm. I do. It's God complex, huh? It, well, it's something. It's something. <laughs> There's definitely a fallen nature element to it. Hey, uh, let's control our, our the rest of our time together. Let's jump into Jeremiah. <laughs> wow. Jeremiah 49 and 50. We're almost done. We are coming up fast on the end of Jeremiah. This is that time, though. That I we, will lament you're when like, we finish Jeremiah. <laughs> okay. I see what you did there. <laughs> This is that that stretch though where it's like, are we gonna finish? Like we're it's November and we're still in Jeremiah and we've still got like Daniel is We blaze a trail, man. Like we blaze a trail when we start making like at the end of the year, just everything speeds up. It does. So fast, in fact, my neighbors are already putting up Christmas lights, Christmas trees, Christmas everything. Everything. As in fact, the day after Halloween, people were putting up Christmas stuff. No, I take it back. The week of Halloween, yep. Christmas stuff was already going up. Yep. Yep. I'm not going to lie. I, I uh, ran by a house today, this morning, that still had their Halloween decorations out, and I silently judged them. Wow. Was, so, was it was it the RSAs who live next door to you? It was not. They've already got their Christmas lights up. Oh, good for them. Yeah, they've got inflatables and everything out there. Awesome. Yeah. Good for them. So, hey, Jeremiah 49, uh, judgment on the nations. This theme continues, and this time we're talking about Ammon. Um, and this was a, a nation that was the Ammonites. The, yeah, the Ammonites, who you probably recognize that name. Uh, east of the Jordan River, again, north though of Moab, from where they were. Um, it, it, the judgment theme it, it again continues that God is is pouring out His wrath on the nations and not just on Judah for their sinfulness. Uh, a couple things of note here: if you look uh, here, there's a reference to Milcom in verse one. Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad? Uh, there's a, a, a something that we miss here with a lack of being Ammonites and, and a knowledge of, of their culture, because this was not just the name of their king, but it was also a, a moniker or a, uh, not a moniker. What's the what is it? Is it when it sounds like another word? What's it? What's that called? A rhyme? Nope. <laughs> nope. Like trunk can mean a, a tree, or it can mean an elephant's nose. Oh, what is that? I don't know. Homonym. Sure. That's what it is. Yeah. Anyways, Milcom was also one of the names for one of the gods of the Ammonites. So you have a, a, a dual uh, meaning, I think, at work here, where it's the judgment on the king of the Ammonites, but also on the gods of the Ammonites as well. And uh, and, and this is a judgment poured out on behalf of the Lord on, uh, on the people that were the enemies of uh, Israel. But notice in verse six, again, similar, Pastor Rod, to what you pointed out yesterday, that uh, there's a future hope still for the Ammonites. That was surprising. Yeah, for sure it was. But afterward, I will restore the fortune of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. Uh, that's the last time I believe that we read that in Jeremiah. These other nations that uh, undergo the judgment of God, they don't have that future hope the way that Ammon did here and uh, the way that Moab did. So that's unique that Moab and the Ammonites both have this future hope that God promises them. Yeah, I, I guess when as I'm reading these final chapters, and we're we're a little bit ahead of you guys, as, as you know, we read ahead to make sure that we're ready for the com- upcoming podcasts. But as I as I rounded out these chapters, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, help me see what I probably won't see. Reading with the twenty twenty three Western mindset, there's things that I'm just going to see and say, okay, well, good, good, God's enacting justice, and there's things that He's accomplishing, and I, I can appreciate that. Um, and I think that's probably one of the dangers in reading sections like this in the Bible. 
we can so quickly dismiss them because they're not immediately relevant. Mm. Um, with that said, uh, is, is there any advice you might give? I, I, I could think of a couple things that helped me as I, as I pondered this, uh, I don't know, a couple mornings ago, I guess, at this point, uh, or any things that you could suggest to us that would be helpful in reading stuff like this, where, again, not immediately relevant to us. We're not a nation under attack. We're, God's not judging our enemies. There's no one who's sending missiles our way. Anything that you could encourage us with? Yeah, I think one thing that's helpful to remember is what we call the meta narrative of Scripture, and that is the uh, the the big grand, story. Yeah, the big story, the grand storyline that goes from beginning to end. And so, as you're reading about the the Ammonites, or later in the this chapter, the the Edomites or uh, Damascus. It's helpful to remember th- this is not a vacuum that that we've read about these people before, and that God is is uh, is now visiting them in judgment. So sometimes we read things, and then the Bible will shift to another scene, and that another that other scene might be a new book, or it might be a new genre, or it might be a new uh, approach and dealing with different people. And yet, it's all part of the one storyline that God is telling within the pages of Scripture. So when we come to here, we are reminded of, for example, the Edomites, their their descendants of Esau. So you go all the way back to the story of Jacob. And Esau, and here we're dealing with the descendants of Esau all the way in Jeremiah chapter 49. So it reminds us that this is a grand story that God is telling throughout the whole thing. And and the other thing that helps me is so much of this is a foreshadow of what is coming in the future in the eschaton, in the end times when God will judge nations again at that time. That's helpful. And, and I mean, we're looking at Edom, Damascus, uh, Kedar, and Hatzor. I mean, all these guys that we don't know about. Right. And I think one of the things that occurred to me is that we're, we live in a very cush, posh, we we, we, we have, we don't know anything about this. Right. Um, and this is one of the benefits, dare I call it a benefit, of seeing some of the stuff that we're seeing and hearing about some of the things that we're hearing about in Israel, what Hamas is doing with Israelites. Um, there are times when I, I feel like I want to pull up my hair. I want to, I want to scream. I want to cry. I want to rip my face off. It's like, oh, there's something in me that just like a blood curdling. I hate this. I want to, I want to do something personally. I want to do something about this. These texts give voice and expression to things like this where we, we can't, we can't do anything about this, but we can say vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. Here's what God's righteous retribution looks like. And the time to prepare for these times is not in the moment when uh, the 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 event of impact. The time to prepare for dark times is in the times when there's peacetime, right. which is where we are. We're in relative peacetime. If you want to prepare for the times that are inevitable, all of us will experience it. When dark times come, when there's injustice, when there's some kind of blood-curdling event that you want to pull your hair out with, it's important to know these texts and to have the heart of God so that you can properly assess and appropriately pray during those events and to say, Lord, you're the just one. You have all things in your hands. I'm going to entrust myself to you even while I endeavor to do good. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I think, yeah, to your point, makes this relevant for us uh, because we don't know what the future holds and we don't know what that's going to look like. Right. And, and uh, that's a good reminder for us to be ready for that now and not wait for it to happen right. if, if and when it happens. Well, chapter 50 then kicks in with uh, Babylon and chapter 50 and 51. By the way, tomorrow's reading for chapter 51. If, if you uh, don't normally carve out a little bit longer time for you to read the DBR. <laughs> it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible. It is. Just so you know. It's, it's, a, it's a long one. And chapter 50 is not short either, but, uh, but we're dealing with judgment now on Babylon. And it's significant and, and relevant, I think, that Jeremiah waits for Babylon to the end yeah. because there's the already not yet element at, at work here. This is about the immediacy of Babylon in Jeremiah's day, but this is also about the future Babylon that uh, is still future from where you and I sit today. 
and the future hope for Israel. Um, if you look at, at uh, starting in verse 19, I'm going to restore Israel to his pasture. He shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. His desires shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. Uh, that's in, in part the, the return from exile, but, but more so this is looking forward. This is the future. This is the not yet uh, part that, uh, that will be uh, found. Verse 34, their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. And so they're setting up this, this dual fulfillment of this in part with the judgment of Babylon by the Medes and the Persians, which we're going to read a lot more about tomorrow in chapter 51, uh, but also ultimately in that eschatological judgment against Babylon that is represented for us in the book of Revelation. Yeah, remember God used them for His His purposes. Uh, Neb is a King, uh, Neb's head. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. King Neb. Yep. King Neb is is a tool, is a servant in God's hand, and yet that does not mean He endorses the evil that they commit. Right. Which is a, a hard concept for us, but such a good, helpful. I mean, I, I love seeing the fact God, God's going to settle accounts. There's no one who escapes judgment, not even those that he utilizes to accomplish his very purposes. This goes back to Genesis 52, uh, 50. Uh, Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right. Two wills, one event, both wills fully in effect. God's will accomplishing the good, his brother's will accomplishing the evil. We see divine sovereignty. We see man's responsibility. And all these things, God is operating perfectly playing 10D chess. Right. He's accomplishing his purposes. Right, right. And we are bound, remember, by uh, one of the marks of our finitude is we are bound by time. And so as we read about God using Babylon and, and some of the wickedness of Babylon, we sit there and we say, well, where is justice? Because our justice is bound by a sense of time. God is a God who exists outside of time. And so here in chapter 50 and 51, we see justice coming in God's quote unquote timing, though God is a God that exists, like I said, outside of time. Time is a human construct. It's something that God created when he created the the universe. And so justice, when justice is done, we might say, well, it seems like justice is done too late. There's no such thing as too late for a God that exists outside of time and not bound by time. What would you say to the critic who says justice delayed is justice denied? You've heard that before, right? And that was a big battle cry during the BLM riots of 2021. And I think that's been somewhat repeated in an ongoing fashion. People that will say, hey, look, it's in, it's unjust to, um, for instance, put a, a cold-blooded criminal on death row but not let him die or not take his life until 10 years later when the justice system finally catches up to the criminal and enacts justice. What do we do with that? Is justice delayed, justice denied, or is right. what you're saying some kind of, is it different than that? Are we right. talking about something besides? Right, well, from a, a Christian's point of view, True justice is not something that's administered by earthly authorities. Now, God says in Romans, we need to fear the the government because the government bears the sword and not for no reason. So there is a certain measure of justice that the government is able to execute. But I think as we have that longing for ultimate justice, uh, we need to understand that that is, that is in the hands of God and that is an eternal sense of justice. So when you read things like you mentioned the the terrorists in Hamas and if you think of the 9-11 attacks and, and there's a sense of like that that's, feels unjust because they died thinking that they were accomplishing the will of Allah and they thought that they were mm-hmm. doing something good when they died and, and we want them to have the realization that what they did was wrong. That They had that realization. 
they had that realization. They still have that realization. That realization comes in an eternity under the judgment of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that no amount of human justice can meet out here on earth. And so there's a sense in which we'll never really feel satisfied. And I, I think about that when I read about these families that long for justice for the loss of their loved ones. I was right. reading an article about this boat that sank in California. I don't rem- know if you remember that. Four years ago, the scuba trip, the boat caught fire and 34 people died on board. Meanwhile, the, the captain jumped off the boat and survived along wow. with four of his crew. Well, he was just brought up and, and finally found guilty of negligence. And he was 10 years, 34 people died, 10 years he gets in prison. And so for those 34 people that died and their families, they're probably thinking that's not just yeah. right for him to only get 10. Well, if he dies for that penalty, that's one life for 34 lives lost. Right. So even that is not justice in the sense of our longing for justice. And so we have to think about it from the perspective that God is the one that meets out justice. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up too, because often we'll try in a human court to say, okay, uh, 34 lives. All right. 34 life sentences. Right. Even though realistically he can only pay for his own life because that's the only life he's got. So your, your, your point is well taken. And it's important for us to see that justice here on this planet is always going to be imperfect. It will never be immediate. And the, the ultimate, the ultimate longing of our soul is for perfect justice. And that will never ever be satisfied here yep yeah let's turn to hebrews chapter 5 for a reading in the new testament today i love hebrews hebrews is great it is great okay i'm there again theme here in hebrews is jesus is better and here we're talking about jesus as the better high priest and he talks about the earthly system of the high priesthood, that the high priests are, are chosen from among men, and they're there to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Uh, and they're, they're sympathetic to mankind because they have their own weaknesses. And so they, they empathize, they sympathize with the, the weaknesses of, of humanity, and they fulfill that role. And then that contrasts with, with Jesus, who is the, the better high priest. And he is the one that was offered uh, or, or that was appointed um, by God and, and God called him into that role. And, uh, he was established after the order of, and this is where we first in, are introduced to this name here that becomes so significant in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter seven. And it's the order of Melchizedek. Mm. Melchizedek first shows up in the Bible in Genesis 14 verse 18. And he's there referred to as the King of Salem. Now Melchizedek, his name means King of Righteousness. Um, but he was the the king of Salem, but he's also a priest. So here you have a priest king. And this is why this is, I think, unique to the high priesthood of Christ. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, one of the things that was prohibited was for the king to serve in a priestly role. That was meant to be two separate offices in the Old Testament. That's why Uzziah got that leprosy. Right, right. And here, though, you have uh, an example of Christ being both king and priest. So he had to be of a unique priesthood because the Aaronic priesthood, uh, the priesthood after the order of Aaron was not qualified to be a king as well. And so you had to have a a, a priesthood that was separate for Jesus. And so Melchizedek, there's a lot of questions about him. We'll get into this more in chapter seven. Who was he? Is this a pre-incarnate Christ? I don't believe it was a pre-incarnate Christ. Pastor Rod, I I assume we're in agreement on that. I don't know what your thoughts are on the the character and nature of Melchizedek. Agreed. 
Yeah. So, and, and we'll talk more about that when we get into chapter seven, but here is about Jesus as the better high priest and, uh, and setting that up a theme that he's going to return to the author is in chapters, uh, later on in chapters nine, chapters 10, uh, of, of the book of Hebrews. But then he shifts into a, another warning passage and the warning passages in Hebrews are unique to us as, uh, as believers. They're there and they apply to us. And yet, as we're going to get into, especially in tomorrow's passage, uh, there's a measure of which we don't need to fear the the warning passage passages per se, uh, as they warn us against losing our salvation or drifting. But we do need to heed them and uh, and feel a sense of I, I want to to avoid what these things are warning us against. But here in chapter five, at least, the warning is: Hey, you need to be further along in your your walk with Christ than you are right now. He says, "I, w- I want to go deeper on these matters, mainly Melchizedek, but I can't right now because you haven't matured as much as you should have matured to this point." Yeah, and it's I find this particularly exciting uh, and maybe inciting. It's a good thing, but uh, it's a good thing that I appreciate. And it's that the author of Hebrews doesn't leave any room for complacency within the body of Christ. It's true in this particular group of people that he's talking to. They should be teachers. And I think when you use that terminology, I don't think he actually means formal teachers. We're not talking about teaching right. a Sunday school class or what have you. I think he's just saying, look, you ought to have so much of Scripture in your heart and mind at this point that you'd be able to instruct one another. This is where we get to the concept of nutheteo. Um, exhorting one another, uh, biblically counseling one another, using the word of God to uh, to to bring the truth in love, so that the whole body builds itself up in love. Ephesians chapter four, verses fifteen and following. So the idea here is that the body of Christ ought to mature into increasing maturity and in scriptural knowledge and appropriation of that knowledge, which is the practice of discernment. Which he says you you grow in that. By doing it, you get better at discerning by actually discerning, by being obedient and doing what the Word of God says. I love this because, as you know, we're pastors of a church, and I long for our church to grow in maturity, to grow in their, her skill, her wisdom, her knowledge of the Word of God, and to be able to take in the heavier, deeper things that the preacher of Hebrews talks about. And there's things that you and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to eventually when it comes to our preaching and things that we'd love to discuss, but it doesn't make sense apart from having the fundamentals and the basics firmly set in place, which is why it's so important that you be in your Bible every single day. The more you're in your Bible, the better you'll understand, the more you'll be able to produce uh, for the sake of Christ, the better it is for everybody. Yeah, and that's true of you no matter how long you've been a believer. That's true of you no matter if you're a pastor or you're a, a layman in the church. It, 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 we never get to the place where we're like, okay, God, I'm done. <laughs> Graduated. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, death. Yeah. Ephesians four, the, 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 that language of, of the, the full maturity of Christ, the, the full stature of Christ, like we're not, ne- we're never going to get there until, yeah, until we die, until Christ calls us home. Um, so, uh, just a, a yeah, a good reminder for us to, to, as the young ones say these days, let's go, right? <laughs> let's go. Young ones yeah. and, and Pastor Ben. <laughs> that's true. I, I don't do, I don't know about you, but the older I get in Christ, the more I'm like, I have so much to learn. For sure. I mean, I, I, I find it's such an interesting paradox. The deeper my knowledge grows, the longer I am a Christian, the more I realize I need him much more than I realized. And I don't know half as much as I thought I did. Right. It's not like we ever doubt Jesus being God or that we don't, we, have, we don't understand things that are fundamental to our faith. We, we do get these things. That's why the author says we want to move on from repentance toward dead works and faith in Christ. There is some fundamental stuff that we need to understand, but the, the deeper things are not, I mean, they're not easy. They're right. challenging. Right. And, it, and it, it, I understand much more than I ever used to, but then what I understand is that I understand a lot less than I actually thought I did. Yeah. 
Yep. Well, hey, join us tomorrow because we're going to talk about whether or not you can lose your salvation. <laughs> just, let's just give you the, let's, can we spoil the surprise now? Nope. Join us tomorrow for another episode <laughs> of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you then, folks. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm -hmm.